Today, we posit the Powderworks effect. In our first custom coder interview in over a year, be prepared to learn something new about yourself and your business through the eyes of another custom coder. It's always refreshing to hear another person's story to get you inspired, but we're not talking about Maui Powderworks. We're talking to Matthew Jones, owner of Powderworks out of Dallas-Fort Worth, who shares his story over the past couple of years. Catch up with us when we cover topics on how he's troubleshooted struggles, faced industry problems, and prepared for the unthinkable. Get ready to level up your powder coder game. Welcome to the Powder Coder Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Scott, where we talk about trending topics, interview custom coders to help you grow your custom coder business. <laughs> Today, I'm really excited to have a guest on that has been a while. It's been in the making now for over a year, and he's a custom coder. So I'm happy to announce that we finally have another interview, custom coder interview. Matthew Jones of Powderworks is here. He's out of Dallas, Fort Worth area, and I'm so happy to have him on the show. Welcome. Glad to be here. Before we get started, though, I want to just give you an update about our last episode with Gabe at Crosslinks, where we talk about the war on paint. It just got released, and I hope if you haven't had um, a chance to listen to it or watch it on our YouTube channel, Go over to YouTube and uh, search for Maui Powderworks, and you'll find our playlist for, and, and just can subscribe. He gave me an update recently in regards to that, where we talk about some of the shortages happening in the paints uh, and coatings market. So he just emailed me the other day and he goes, ha ha, I may have spoken too soon on the podcast. I believe a component of powder Calcium, called calcium carbonate is apparently sourced out of the Ukraine in which lots of powder manufacturers are struggling to source now due to the war. It's going to be an interesting three months ahead. Just wanted to give you a just a heads up on that if you did watch that. Calcium carbonate is basically, I think it's chalk basically is what it is. I mean, that's the easiest way to say what it is. Do you know, I didn't know that calcium carbonate, I just barely know anything on powders. I'd like to know more. Did you know about calcium carbonate? I'm learning about formulas a lot more here lately with all of the shortages and what we are lacking as far as what's needed to make powder and things like that. Yeah, it's funny. You guys down in Texas have been going through bib more and more or less biblical weather anomalies and stuff. I don't know about your area, but I know just Texas has been getting, getting hit a lot on different levels. But in Crosslink Paints is out of Texas too. What kind of triggered me onto that subject and get Gabe on the show was I had just come back from Powder Coating Week in Orlando and they brought up a question which triggered like a, a quiet panic, I think, in the room, because I don't think that 
it was really people were just so happy to be there and socializing again without masks and all this stuff that it kind of I think it kind of took the group in everyone in the room by not shock, but just what's going on. It did me and we had a good discussion around it at the round tables. But I don't want to say go out and buy a bunch of powder because we Ross and I have had this conversation where we don't want to order too much powder. Do we order more? If we do order more powder, do we order just our staples, our in-house powder, or do we, I don't know. I don't want to panic for the ed- exits, so to speak, or do start doing hoarding when I don't really need to. What I've been doing is just communicating with my reps. My Sherwin-Williams rep, for example, let me know a year and a half ago when the, we were only six months into the pandemic, hey, this is starting to affect our supply chain. We're going to do what we can to keep the heavily used powders in stock, but you may see some of the light, the lighter used RELs and things like that kind of cycle in and out of stock. And I think yeah. that's what we're seeing right now with like Prismatic having a lot of issues with gold being mm-hmm. out of stock and things like that. You're prioritizing. I think all of the companies are prioritizing to the blacks and the yeah. The, the whites and a lot of the heavily used the yellow, safety yellow and international orange, things like that, so that the commercial customers, for one, can be taken care of. And then we hope that things like the illusion colors don't all fall off of stock, too. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things. It's OK, let's zero in on what our most that's being powdered. Well, I don't know what he's doing there. I forgot what color he picked. I think it's a black satin black or something there are yeah there are ways around it we're just in the discussion mode now about how much business are we anticipating going into the work our busy season kind of starts in july august because in the fall contractors start to pick up it's a mad dash to december mid-december before the tourists get here and i don't know just the way that it works around here so we're just trying to think okay out of the next, you know, what, and I don't know why he said three months. So I don't know, maybe it's just that he's thinking of it on a, on a quarterly basis or just that they're hoping things are going to be over in three months. I don't know. And Gabe is talking about, about paint. And, and I, I know Gabe, Gabe's, Gabe's a real nice guy. We do a lot of work with the Crosslink paints. Roxanne is, is my rock over there. She handles things great. And they're having issues specifically with paint, especially the, the base component for, for a lot of your whites and things like that is just impossible to get. We're yeah. seeing that with PPG and other companies as well. For us, luckily, we haven't, I haven't run into a situation where just a powder was unobtainable. Now I have had a couple of, I've had one specific powder coater in my area reach out to me to see if I had Bismarck gold just in case, because mm-hmm. I was, I was listed on Prismatic's website as a, as a vendor. And so they reached out to me. I didn't have any, but I felt their pain and I did everything I could to try and help them out. I think what Gabe is dealing with in the pain industry is they're doing everything they can to just, you know, motor through it. Yeah. And compounding that is, employees or keeping at the pace, right, too. So that was the other difficult thing going on for him. And I think that if we do see a shortage, you'll start to see longer wait times or maybe the initiation of front of the line pass kind of stuff like what prismatic powder. And I knew the minute that they 
initiated that they weren't, they were saying it was just temporary why they were building that building or hiring. I don't know. I think they hired like a hundred something people. I don't know how it was like a huge amount of people that they had to hire in a short amount of time. And it was just interesting that they, I knew they weren't going to take that down. I think everybody wanted to have uh, increased time to get their stuff. If it, you just, jobs happen that way. You have to be able to turn around a job pretty quick, turn around order pretty quickly. But when you go from ex- expecting a shipper to uh, a, an order to be placed and have it in your hands within just a couple of days, and it turns into 10 to 14 days and you're used to being able to promise a customer or at least have a general idea that if I order this on a Thursday, it's going to be here Tuesday. And when that becomes a big question mark and you have no idea and you've got to tell your customer, I don't know when it's going to be here. It's egg in your face to some extent. It's difficult. And that was a difficult yeah. period. We all we all felt it. That was that was shared. Yeah, it was shared. I've been trying to get Kirk on for a while. I think he'd be ideal, but he's so busy. And uh, I will, I'll continue to reach out. I'm going to get him on the show. He already said he would come on the show, but I just, it's just finding the right time and stuff like that. And I think that hopefully the podcast is getting out there. It's not going away. It's not a, it's not a temporary thing. And it's letting everybody know that we're here and we're this voice both ways to keep tabs on our community and as it grows or ebbs and flows or bottoms out or tops out or whatever kind of thing. How are you doing on pricing? It's fluid right now. One of the, I think I'm, I'm going to speak for everyone. I think when I say this, I, I don't understand pricing and powder coating. I came into to this business relatively naive and probably one of the biggest areas I was the most naive in, naive in was the pricing. It's really difficult to know what your competition is charging reliably from any one point in time. And I hear customers come in and they're like, wow, that's a great price. The one that was charging me this. And, and I go, wow, I should have, I should have charged more. And then I'll see a bid where I'm right on. And then I'll see a bid where I'm way out of the ballpark. And me personally, I try and do everything from a math perspective. I've got my linear footage pricing laid out. I've got my square footage pricing laid out for different things. And I try and be as transparent with my clients as I possibly can. Just give them that, that price and let them a lot of times price it out on their own. Because I I want my team to be able to price the same price that I'm going to price. I know that there's several that there's people out there that they look at a part and they go, oh, that's six bucks. I don't know where they're getting that number from, just the fuel of it or just how much they want the end invoice to be. But yeah, it's really difficult to come to price in this market. For us, we're in our location. I want to say we're hitting a bit of a sweet spot. I've never really experienced this before in powder coating or since we've owned the powder coating. It could be part of it is that we, we've built that reputation digitally and we've built it word of mouth. And in one sense, I like to believe that we're able to charge top prices because of who we are. 
Then there's this other force where we have a lot of wealthy, extremely wealthy people moving here. I've talked sure. about it before on the show where they literally are an economy in and of themselves. And then now we're starting to see their friends move here. <laughs> so, right, like they're influencers within their own group. And now home, it, it's keeping home prices, mega million dollar homes that we just did a gate over Christmas or in December was with where our new patina effect and the home just sold for $30 million cash. I'm like, that's insane. So uh, I, yesterday I had to rush the photographer out there because I wanted to get some photos, professional photos of it. And uh, it was just a rush to get out there because it, it was closing so quickly because of the cash sale. So Fortunately, I think we he went out there yesterday and hopefully got some good shots. But it's kind of crazy because he some people have just bought down there and now you're starting this ripple effect. I'd like to say that that our gate was the one is worth twenty nine million dollars. <laughs> right. yeah, but the house is it's a beautiful house. So for us, there's this other layer where we're in this very wealthy area. And it, it's a wealth inflation, inflationary thing where they want the best. And so it's easy for people to source this out because we're number one in Google, whatever. So if they don't, even if they don't know anything about powder coating, they just know they need to get it. It's helped that we're at the top right. for sure, because that's the first number they're going to call. So, it, hey, it took us several years to get for sure. And so it, it's, I'd like to say it's my efforts, but I can't really say that it's all that. I think it's some kind of a, other inflationary or post-COVID effect. I don't know. It's interesting. So we're charging the most that we can, that we possibly can. I didn't think we could ever, so far, nobody's balking the prices. So I don't know if that means there's more headroom there. I, I I know where things just generally on the island have quieted down in the last couple of weeks, just in the complex here. I monitor everybody else's business and see how busy they are just to see generally how things are. Sure. But I don't know if you do that too or where you're located. Now, when we were talking though, you were at, we were going to have you on the show about a little over a year ago, but uh, you were opening up a second location. Did that ever happen? So pandemic killed that. We gave it three months when we broke ground in June of 2019. The building was ready by by December, by the end of December on 2020 of uh, 19, and we could have moved in January 20. We didn't have electricity yet. The co-op in in that particular county was dragging their heels on getting the electricity just to the building. And so we didn't have electricity until the middle of April and we were all by then it locked. was we were locked down. There was dodging a bullet. <laughs> yeah. So we we went ahead and gave it a, gave it a shot. But I put a three I put a, a three month target up. We actually opened the doors in the first of September and we went ahead and it, it was just the manufacturing companies were, were furloughing. And of course, the just manufacturing in general was low. There were a lot of factors that played into it just not being the right time for us. I managed to keep everybody employed. We just brought everybody back to the original building that we had kept open and then just rolled on from there. 
Yeah. Do you feel like, I know that out of all of this, we've come out at post COVID a lot leaner, a lot more profitable. So combination of increasing our prices, but also like just fair boning everything or skinning everything down to the bone in terms in 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 order to maintain our cash flow and keep debt down and stuff like that. How are how did you come out out of that? We we survived. We didn't take any PPP. We managed to skin of our teeth. I, I would say that 2020 was our best year up to that point for patio furniture. Seemed like everybody decided that they were if I'm going to be stuck at home, can't travel, can't do anything, now's the time to do patio furniture. So we did a ton of patio furniture, saved us. We we have a contract with, or a, we're a sub for a contractor for the military. And so we had some military stuff that um, kept us busy and kept us open, basically, as far as being able to be open during that period of time. Kept, But yeah, we came out leaner a little bit, definitely 2021. The topic, the board meeting topic was costs. What do we mm-hmm. need to do to you know cut costs, get costs down? And we also started working on redundancies inside the company to with operations management, with sales and things like that. We wanted to just have some redundancies in place. And those really came in handy in the fall. But yeah, we made it through it. Yeah, I was a little shocked. We just got our taxes back. So like I kind of was a little shocked for the first time. My CPA wasn't complaining. I'm like, all right, I've got my little notepad ready to take his advice or whatever, his little tips. And he's, you're paying too much taxes. You need to change your status. Or he wants us to do an S Corp now. And I'm like, Whoa, that was unexpected. I don't know. I'm wavering on that. I haven't, we haven't really decided. We keep talking about it. I'm kind of more into switching this to, in terms of getting contract work, I'm kind of more into switching this to a 51% female owned business just for that handout. But I know he would never buy into that. He just thinks that's all bunk stuff. But hey, I don't know. We'll see. But classifications help. Women owned, they all help. Yeah. I think for him, like there was another company here they closed a long time ago, but they were doing that. It wasn't like she was powder coating or anything. It was just that she, not that you have to be a powder coater to own the business or whatever, but he didn't think that was right what they were doing, but I don't know. So let's talk about the inspiration of this episode was that there's this Think of it as a Mandela effect, but I call it the powder works effect. I'm going to share my screen here for a minute here. Oh, wait, shoot. Let me get the video up first. So we have the, this is the screenshot of, or a video I took of the all the different powder works on Instagram and stuff. It's crazy. It's super crazy. There we are. We're at the lot. We're at the end. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? And it's funny because I didn't really notice this until probably around 2018, 17, 18, when I started yeah. to get into market more of the Instagram and all that stuff. And it was just like, wow, what happened? It was like, 
everybody had the same thought at the same time. And I don't know what I keep asking him. He's, I don't, he just thought it was a cool name. I don't know if he searched you out or I'm assuming there was at least one other powder works out there. It wasn't, I think it was you. How, when did you start powder works? Well, so I actually bought powder works after its original owner passed away. I bought it from his wife he owned a welding company called Weldworks. So for him, the natural, mm-hmm. uh, you know, direction was to go with Powderworks. So his right. was just an accident off of his own name. And when we bought it, I, I thought long and hard about the name. And I was like, well, I just really, I really like Powderworks. I'm, I'm going to stay with it. And yeah. went ahead and filed everything and then started going to do my website and realized, wait, Powderworks is taken. And that's, I started doing the, the deep dive into how many powder works there were. And again, just in the DFW area, there's three. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm going to bring up your site right now on the, I, you have a very nice site. It's very professional. It's not like my crazy one, but this is, can you see my screen? I can. Yeah. This is just, I love the quality color forever. I love that. that that's awesome. Yeah, that um, forever has come to bite me a few times. So oh, has it? Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. But it, it's a bold statement, but it's, I think that it just instantly gives the user this impression about you and stuff. And yeah, okay, maybe there's a couple of bites every now and then, but for the most part, you seem to be, if anything, it keeps you, keeps you, on your toes, keeps your people on the to- on their toes, sets the standard, but it's a really nice website. The colors and everything are really cool. Yeah. The blue and the white is something that uh, I've really latched onto from a marketing standpoint. I came into this with a, an art background and mm-hmm. my, my college um, education is all in marketing and uh, web design and things like that. So the irony is that I didn't design my website just simply because I don't have the time to keep up with right. it and do things. Found a company that I trusted and and had a lot of conversations with about what I wanted, but they've done a pretty good job. It's time for an update. Yeah, you should. The thing is, you should always be updating your site. I, it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. It never should be. It, it's somewhat exhausting in that sense. I don't know what to tell you about it. It's you, it can go a while for, but then there's just, there's always a new update from WordPress or from somewhere else, or just, it's just always, or Google, Google, Apple have really disrupted a lot of norms by taking back permissions and stuff like that. And I think that has changed a lot of things, uh, especially like, Uh, Yeah, in in terms of ranking and stuff like that. And then with Apple and Facebook having a war, actually, Google started the war and then Apple joined in and then it was now Facebook is. ah. But I had a I had something happen on my Facebook where I was trying to I used to be able to post Instagram and then it would do the cross posting to Facebook and then they did some kind of a change or update or something. And whatever, however, I had it set up, it got all screwed up where I wasn't able to cross post anymore. And then things got real crazy because we were doing some ads 
And it's just, I went into the business suite side of it and the ad side, and then there's manager and it's just so many things. It's a juggernaut of code that never works. And I can see why Zuckerberg wants to walk away from it because it's a ugly, horrible monster. The only way I could get through to Facebook was I had a, I kept getting and they want you to start advertising with them because mm-hmm. they're oh, yeah. sucking gas on that. So I answered the messenger thing. Oh yeah, sure. I'll book an appointment thinking, okay, I'm not going to buy any more ads from you until you guys fix my crap. And so I got a conversation with the guy and he, so he set up a tech thing. And then I got an email from tech saying tech support saying, Oh, take a video here. We, we see that we've received this problem complaint, whatever, and then take a video of it and then send it back to us. So I'm like a week later, I'm like, okay, now I got to go into Instagram, make a post, make a video of it and stuff. And when I go there after a week of just brewing over the fact that they should just be able to look into the back end of my account and understand what the problem is. I go back in there and I realize, oh shit, they fixed it. I'm like so happy now. And now I have all these other cool tools in the Instagram now to fix everything and stuff like that. So I'm I'm pretty happy about it now. I'm jazzed about posting on Instagram again, which is I haven't been lately. So Anyways, it's nice when they do can when they can fix your stuff or they do respond to you, but you really only need to, the only way to get their attention is if you want to do some advertising. And I did notice that you've been posting on Instagram again. So I have part of it is like, I have so much content. I don't really need to make any more. Although I do like the day-to-day stuff. Um, when we were in our old location, the lighting was so much easier. It's just really harsh here because we're, I want to say we're east facing. And so the light doesn't quite cast the same as when we were south facing. And so I've had a hard time getting the right angle. Plus it's just a super cramped small shop now. And it's hard to really get all of that. Those cool angles like I was getting before. There's Ross sweating away. Doing the deed. Yeah. He's, I don't know what he's doing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. And and I feel like refreshed now that I can actually post something and have it work the way I want it to work now. But it was like, why'd you send me this email? If you already fixed the dang thing, like you just made me like go through the motions of doing something when I realized it was already fixed, but that's Facebook for you. Other than that, what other marketing are you doing? I'm, I'm, I've got the website. I've got Facebook, Instagram. We do brochures. We do shows. I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Obviously, I'm just like all of us. Anything to get our our name out there, word of mouth, uh, and then just the grind, just going around and knocking on on doors and talking to people. And that's our biggest marketing right there is our sales reps going out and actually being out there in people's faces, talking to them. Um, yeah. It's, the rest of it is all great to be able to point to and say, hey, check out our Instagram page, check out our Facebook. But I've seen a decline over the last few years for what comes to us through Facebook. In fact, I'd say I get more actual messages now from new clients through Google specifically 
than I do Facebook. And some of that has to do with I've stepped away from just posting and posting actively on Facebook and Instagram. I have a a company, the same company that does my website, posts twice a week on Facebook for me, industry-specific posts or whatever I want them to post, pictures and that kind of thing. But I've stepped away from just overloading my Facebook page with pictures on a, on a daily basis. It works for some people. It really works for coders like Robert at RMP. He's got that thing figured out. He's got the metrics figured out. He has the following too, right? He has the following. You have to, yeah. So that's what I've noticed is the more people you have following you, liking you, whatever, what he does is extremely viral. So He's got the juice, so to speak. And I think the other thing is it's the area too, right? Everybody's into that in your area. Yes. And it's one of the reasons I actually got out of doing the two color wheels and things like that. The biggest reason is just the time. There's the amount of time that it, it pulls out of my booth and the labor involved. But also I've got, I'm literally right between Robert and Zach Pina. Right. You know, I mean, but that's a good thing, though. I think that's really smart because you do have those two. So why even try? And I don't want to say try as a negative. Yeah, that's but. kind of fatalist. I don't like to say it like that. But when I can serve a client by pointing them in the direction of someone who can take care of them and is more than happy to take care of them, take care of that type of job. Mm-hmm. While I've got three quarters of a mile of fencing to do yeah. and 10,000 widgets and all that kind of stuff, then that's, I'd much rather help the customer and point them in the right direction than just leave them in the wind and say no. Yeah. It's, I think that's just understanding. First of all, you think about it this way. You're helping to create a healthy and a healthy environment. Right. business environment, all, all three of you actually, because you do have Zach and I don't know how much they actually, I, I don't know enough about them to know that's all they do. Or obviously they're doing builds, custom build trucks and, and UTVs and stuff. So he's got this kind of more, I want to say influencer type thing going on. And then Robert has this he's killing it he's killing it because he's so talented it's talent and i was thinking about this today on the way to work it's there's a talent level actually i was thinking of victor pate from black label and how he gets booked out a year in advance roro does too i'm pretty sure robert's right up there as well and it's this sweet spot between talent and pricing and demand that is, I'm still trying to define what that is, but I think it can be used for everyone. And like, you can use that formula as well in just knowing what it seems like you're doing a lot of architectural gates and railings and stuff. So I would say in the last year, we've really transitioned from the the job shop that took in everything to We are now, I would say the vast majority of the jobs that we do are focused um, strictly at commercial. And so we're telling walk-in customers, um, good or bad, we're telling walk-in customers five weeks at this point. And if they can't wait that long, 
again, we're happy to point them in the direction of other shops so that they get served. A lot of them are, are fine with that, which tells me that if they've shopped at all, then we're not, then we're the norm. We're not out of the Right, norm. right, right. But for our commercial customers, obviously, we are really pushing hard for those quick turnaround times, five days, what's needed based on their time frames and everything, just like the rest of us try. But that's where we're really transitioning. And I think probably within the next year, within the next, you know, the calendar year, we'll be we'll be stepping away from customers as a whole, just and and so that wheels and things like that, there's companies that want to do wheels. There's companies that want to do lift kits and things like that. And we're moving away from that just simply because it's, again, it's a time-consuming product for yeah. a margin that we don't see as sustainable. Yeah. I agree. It's similar. We're we're probably like that on a smaller scale like than you, but when the big jobs come in, they definitely, it's like, I always get the saying wrong, but what do you bend over to pick up a dime when you, there's a thousand dollar job. Exactly. My, my operations manager is always reminding me of that. He's, this is a $150 job. This is a $10,000 job. And he's right. At the same time, I'm still, I started this by going after, and sometimes that, that, that draw, that pull is still in me that, oh, it's, I got to get that in the shop. I got to get that in the shop. And sometimes that's not the right thing to do for the shop, but that does more harm than good to bring in a, a $400 bumper that's going to need blasting and, and it's going to take up an entire rack. And it's going to be a color change that is going to happen in the middle of a huge job that is all white or black or something yeah. like that. The, these are the things that for a one-time struggling coder, um, coding shop, I have to think of now as do we really need to worry about? Yeah, I think that there there comes a time when your business will be at that point that you're at. I'm I tend to be the mommy type. Oh, let's help everybody say yes to everything because you never know what's coming around the corner kind of thing. Ross has definitely become more discretionary with within that and isn't afraid to tell someone bye-bye. It's maybe we're reaching, maybe we're getting to where you are, where you've just come from in terms of that. I think part of it is just I think our struggle is to create that demand within the state for these larger jobs. That seems to be in terms of getting to more of the marketing side again to like you said, you're doing trade shows. Are you focusing on like gate and railing trade shows when you do one or what kind of trade show? I don't want to don't have to give me the whole lowdown secret part, but just like your focus is mostly what? My focus is the 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 problem with just trying to hit one specific thing is that you never know who you're going to talk to or who you're going to meet. I, I did. I'm willing to do any show. I went out and did the Wise County Home and Lawn Show a couple of weeks ago. Small show, nothing. It was just a small show. But I ran into two customers who could be $100,000 over the over a year, over 12 month span. That's and I, I had a $200 investment in the show. That's, you know, that would be, yeah, <laughs> that would be well um, worth it. And I went into it thinking, all I'm trying to do is get one, uh, if I get one bumper out of this job or out of, <laughs> out of this show, it's 
been worth my time. But I went in expecting that I was going to talk to somebody who was going to know somebody. And that typically happens. The other, there's metal fabrication shows all over the place all the time. And just walking around them sometimes is all you need to do. You don't have to have a booth set up or something like that. You just have to network. So it's just, we got invited to a, a show this past weekend that was just a car show. Car shows happen every weekend. And a, a lot of them want to have a, a vendor presence and are willing to either do it for, let you do it for nothing or very cheap. And you just go out there and sit and talk to a bunch of car guys if you're trying to get in the car market. But again, you don't know which one of those car guys owns a multi-million dollar fabrication company. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them do because those are the classic car and communities is full of people with expendable income and they right. have expendable income for a reason. And they're, they're metal enthusiasts. So exactly. the, the likelihood of that is you just increased your target. And I think people are anxious to get out again, get out and meet people, network. And it seems they were listening more. Like before mm-hmm. they were, when you go to these things, it's some of these people at least when I, let's just give me an example of the powder coating week. We had all of the major suppliers there, powder suppliers there. So let's just use them as an example. And a lot of, some of them I didn't know, some of them I did. It just seemed like they were more, they sent their top people is number one, not this the guy that just got hired last week to hand out brochures. They sent the top people and they actually listened to what I was talking about, what I had to say, or they were really, they themselves were interested in hearing what, maybe because they're being paid to do that. I don't know, but it seemed like the momentum or the, the vibe was attentive and enthusiastic versus before when you go to these shows, it's and at a brochure. Yeah. Okay. Bye next. So I did that. And I, I hope that continues for at least a little while, because I think there's a lot of people need to be heard. We're coming from the trenches and they need to hear what we have to say and stuff. Of course, you always have your rep and everything like that, but sometimes you wonder how far it goes up the chain of command when you have a complaint or an input on something. Let's see. Let's talk about, oh, yes. Do you want to talk about what happened to you physically or health-wise? Sure. It's relevant to the market. Yeah. I I had a heart attack and quadruple bypass last last November, right after Thanksgiving. And uh, directly, I swear, yeah, I I survived. Spoiler alert, I I survived. How old Uh, are you? I'm forty. I'm forty five. I was forty four. It it hit pretty young, and it it really hit. I because of the stress. We were talking about pandemic and and all of that kind of stuff. I started noticing the the symptoms, the early signs back in. 2017 and I just ignored them and I kept going and I kept working the late hours and I kept worrying about this and that and what's this customer going to think and labor shortages and money shortages and let everything get to me and it happened and if it hadn't been for a completely unrelated reason nobody plans to have a heart attack but if it hadn't been for Again, the redundancies that we started putting in place in the spring of 2021, there's a good chance that the company would have just folded in the in the month or two after 
Um, it happened. If it hadn't been for my team being able to pick up and run with all of the hats that I was wearing and and successfully keep things going, it would have been a different result. And they've been really good about keeping those hats on and not letting me wear them anymore. I'm, I'm relieved in a lot of ways. Now they're taking on obviously a lot more stress and, and things like that, but They've, they've been really good at, at keeping all that stuff rolling. Yeah, I think you I think you really don't realize how much people, I don't know if it's care or if it's admire or when you, I don't know. Sometimes I think that employees, it's just the em, em, employers think of employees as a one-way kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you do the work, you get paid. You do the work, you get paid. But when it when something like that happens and their job is on the line or they could lose their job, it's amazing how much they re- can respond to that in a positive way. I, I just sometimes I think that the world underestimates people. Maybe they just need a chance. Well, and, I, and, and I, think, I think that's a lot of the reason why we're having such a hard time with with getting people these days is because for so long companies did uh, um, underestimate people and. They're starting to realize their value. And that that's a great thing. That's as an employer, it the I'll I'll say the, the quiet part out loud. It it's it stinks to some degree because it's making it harder and harder to get people to do the jobs like we like we have because they want they value their their time rightly. They value their time a little bit more than working in a shop that might get to 140 degrees in the summer. It's making it more difficult. But I'm lucky in the respect that the core of my team I've had for years. They they've worked with with me for years. And they're very loyal, and I, I I I reward that. I understand it. I try not to take advantage of it. And my 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 senior leadership team, ops manager, office manager, CFO, everybody, they do just a fantastic job. We all. We, we still have our moments where receivables get a little out of control and things like that, but they do a great job. But we're also back on employees. It's We're looking at a period of time coming up where we might need to hire nine people in a quick period. of time. I don't know how to do that. It's been very difficult. I know that this has been parroted continuously out there, but this it's been very difficult to get just people, not even good people, not even like skilled people, just people to work. I don't understand it. Have you thought about, are you looking for skilled labor or just anybody like fresh out of school or? You know, we, we prefer our skilled positions are, are largely filled at the moment. Now we want everyone in the shop to know how to powder coat. So we would prefer to bring someone in and, and teach them how to powder coat the powder works way. A lot of times you bring in a coder that has years of experience and things like that. And sometimes it's hard to plug them in to your system and have and have it work pretty you know seamlessly. But right now I would take either. I would take a highly skilled person or the lowest skilled person. Right now it doesn't matter. I'm wondering, could you host some kind of a workforce development day. My buddy Ian, who is in shipbuilding and ship repair, welding and stuff like that on Oahu, I had him on, I think it was episode 43 or something like that. What he's trying to do, attempt to do is huge and it it involves workforce development. And he just posted something yesterday on Instagram 
where they were doing like workforce, just trying to bring up the, they helped organize and be part of the James Campbell High School STEAM Academy, visit to Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard and the USS Daniel K. Noy, the, the senator has a ship named after him for National Welding Month. As students and teachers toured the shipyard's welding school, learned from subject matter experts about welding and experienced life aboard the Navy destroyer, mahalo. So I thought he, there's about 20, 30 kids in this picture and stuff. So it seems like they paired it with the Navy because they do work so much at the Navy shipyard anyways, but is there possibly, because, you know, welding is so related to powder coating. I'm wondering, he's on Oahu, but I'm wondering if somehow we could work together to develop a workforce kind of day. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. We've, and we've had, there's several high school trade schools that are, you know, affiliated with the high school that have come over and done a field trip, so to speak, at the shop. And we we had an auto shop, for instance, come by and do their parts. They went through the process here. This was a couple of years ago, but they went through the process of, of media blasting and then coding and everything, their own parts. And that was wonderful. I, I like the idea. The issue that we run into in the conversation that my staff you know, continues to have is that we have basically from October until May, to hire somebody because once we get into June, especially here in Texas, the heat outside combined with the humidity combined with nobody wants to go anywhere. Nobody wants, nobody wants to work in the shop. They come in. If you try and hire them, they get in the shop, they work a day. They never come back. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because it's just oppressively hot. And, um, you know, uh, so you, you're not going to you're not going to believe this, but I got an email. I don't. Are you on the directory? The I am. Code? OK, I got I am getting emails from people that are finding the site and then just emailing me crazy questions like some of them are looking for patio furniture refinishers. Oh. Somebody was somebody emailed me in Idaho because they were in this remote area. It was a dealership, actually. And they were looking for someone in the Idaho area. I can't remember if it was south or north or whatever, but I responded to that. Just last week, I got an email from a high school kid guy out of, I think it was California. He didn't say California, but the way he referenced that he was near Lancaster in some salt farm out there. He was actually looking for to get into this. Sure. And the thing is, Kids are so attached to their home, to their life, their world, their friends, whatever. It's hard to get high schoolers to think about leaving or moving away or from their mothers or from their helicopter parents or whatever. But I was shocked that, and of course, I emailed him. We emailed each other back and forth a couple of times just so I could help him answer or sort through what his questions, but he was interested. And if he's interested, then that means there's at least one kid in every city interested. And if you have to go through 30 kids to get to one that is going to have the talent, I think that, so it's possible, I guess, is what I mean to say, because I'm starting to see that coming through on the directory site. But number two, there needs 
maybe you and I can work together on this. And that is there needs to be a caliber, like a Briggs-Meyer kind of thing, not Briggs-Meyer on that level. Okay. Are you good with working with your hands? Are you detail oriented? Do you have an engineering kind of brain? It can be simple, simply stated, and we put it all together and have a discussion around it because there it is industrial art. So you need to have some sort of art artist capability. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my husband after being married to him for 35 years or whatever, being with him for 35 years. But it can be done. Like we could create this parameter of who we're looking for and then create a program around that. Sure. I think that would be ideal because I think you're onto something here. There needs to be a funnel or feeder or structure to create around. And because I think they're out there. I just don't think they know enough about, again, PR, powder coating needs better PR in general for not just getting jobs and getting the getting the industry to understand what powder coating is and why it's so much better, but but also how it, it, it affects our workforce too. We're not going to, let me tell you this, somebody with a, a fancy degree isn't going to tell us how to hire people or how to develop workforce for custom custom coders. They're not, they don't even understand what their own problem. I know that for a fact. It's, I think that in in terms of Powder Coding Institute and stuff like that, because I am a member of it, I, I think that they're getting that awareness now, but it's very early on. Yet they have a very good awareness of the contract, machine parts, line coder guys. They got that one down pretty well, but the stuff that's suffering on the vine is us in terms of our pricing and stuff. And for me, like my passion is, is can't we charge more for our business for what we have the adaptability to do anything. We should be able to charge more money. It's the guard mentality of it's, it's, 30 million parts and you can only charge so much for 30 million parts. Okay, go ahead, charge that. I don't care what you're charging. You have a line coding systems is practically all automated and robotics and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. What we're doing is only done by people. It needs people (laughs) and people need to be paid. And the capabilities of powder and powder coating is huge. And on the line coding thing, I know that the automated line is something, and this is a conversation that I had with a, a potential customer earlier this month. They were so hooked up on, on the automated line aspect and everything. And I know in this area, there's a handful of, I think there's one truly automated line that I'm aware of. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody's going to correct that. But beyond that, Every other line system actually incorporates people. You've got people inside the the booth spraying and all that kind of stuff. There's still people. You still have to hang the parts. You still have to take the parts down. You still have to box the parts up and all that kind of stuff. There's still a a labor force involved in the, the process. And like for us, we've got a really big oven. We've got really big racks. We can move parts. We can move a lot of parts really fast with about the same number of people as a line system. So the price calculator that I use is actually a price calculator from a line system to tell me how much that part's going to cost. 
But because we're batch and not a line, we lose several of those jobs just because the right. person is so used to dealing with or has in their mind that a line system is the only way to go. I'd love to have a line. I may have a line in a couple of years. Who knows? Right. But right now I'm a batch system and I can keep up with, with lines. Yeah. Oh, it's being done. Denny from DJ Powder Coating was on the show where we talked about rack them to stack them. Yeah. And he shared some of his insights on how he basically is like you, where he's doing multiple parts and lots of extrusion, lots of gates and stuff like that, where it's, he's just converted a lot of his mighty hook stuff to accommodate. And it's a fascinating it's a, it, he's a little shy at first when he's on the show, but once you get past all of that and he gets into the way he goes about it and how he stays competitive, he's on it. He's definitely doing it. And I think that there's certainly something to be gleaned from that. If you're, if you think you're heading in that direction with your business, you know, sure. yeah, you can keep up, you can be competitive. It just comes up, kind of comes down to how driven you are and how much you, you want to push your equipment and your people. And it's, uh, it's doable. So. Yeah, it's awesome. So you've recovered from your triple bypass. Um, I guess it seems like look, you're looking past that. It was mm -hmm. a very difficult time that you were in, but looking past that now, I, it seems that you've come out quite well and you've learned some things about yourself and about your health. What are some of the lessons that you've learned in, in the past 12 months? I think the biggest one is to trust trust the people who are around you to do the job that they're there to do. Again, one of the biggest stress factors for me was just, I felt like I had to do everything and I don't. And learning that, realizing that more than anything was has been huge. And just not, I mean, don't sweat the small stuff is uh, pretty cliche, but definitely trying to wear that a little bit more and we're uh, trying to live more in the work-life balance kind of thing. I've gotten better at turning my phone off from from a business perspective. I used to be the the guy that was up at 10, 11, midnight answering answering texts or emails or something like that. I don't do that anymore. I'll get that, I'll yeah. catch that text or that email the next day. That's really the big thing that came out of it was just trying to focus on really spending more time as, uh, with my family and, and, and things like that and less time worrying. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because when you're scraping and trying to get your job shop up and running and equipment running and all of the, all of that ups and downs there, you, you do need to be on that phone all the time, but then it, at some point it becomes too much. And knowing when that is, is a personal choice, but it's social media. And it, it, I think that's what's made it even more intense is I now have like three messengers now. So there's, again, gotta love Facebook and Instagram. I, I don't have notifications on because I can't stand that. It's like checking my watch every five minutes or whatever. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? But I do get the notification. I'll check notifications and it'll say, get back to this person or message or whatever. And it, for us, it's, I'm not kidding you. If you, cause we have the messenger uh, pop up on our, well, you do, do you do too? I know I don't, or is it a, my account? Okay. 
is there a way for people just to chat on your from your website? Yeah, so there's links to the to website or to uh, Instagram, but we have the messenger button on our website. Yeah. And I'm techie and all of that. So I wanted that early on. I had it and tried it. And we weren't really that busy, so I wouldn't get them. But now it's starting to pick up having that messenger button because Facebook finally, you didn't need to use a a bot to do that. Facebook has their own now. And it's crazy because I had people, I'll have people on Instagram messaging me. Then I got this messenger thing on my website. Then I have emails. Then I've got various other messages coming through or texts or whatever. And it's just, it, it, it's great. Obviously we've opened the funnel up for people to contact us. It can get a little, just really overwhelming. I don't get as much on the Google though. And I haven't had as much, it seems like the people, it's like we were getting more scammed on the Google business, Google, my business page messenger. I yeah, the, I, it's funny the, how the, you're getting more direct. I still get the Kubota wheels. I still get that. We're going to find those people and bring them on the show. <laughs> Who is I'm going to powder coat those wheels someday. I tell you. <laughs> Where um, are they? Um, <laughs> but I, I just came to a realization, the person, the person that's, Instagramming me at 1130 at night, I don't think is expecting me to respond back at 1131. And I stopped worrying so much about the very responsive to messages on the badge of honor on Facebook. As far as <laughs> I'm, I respond and I respond quick. I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy time. I'm going to enjoy a movie. I'm going to enjoy time at the lake. I'm going to enjoy time with, with my family and friends without worrying about whether or not Facebook is going to say that I respond within 15 minutes. What's, um, what really is at stake? What really matters? And also you've now put stuff in place, processes right. in place, and you've got people that are handling handling certain things for you so that it, it's you're able to do that. And that's just as important, especially when you get to a certain level in your business, what that level is going to be unique to everyone, but just being aware of that or. But I would say if you've got a, if if, as a business, if you've got one person that you trust, make them an admin on your Facebook page, let them answer questions from time to time, let them be your backup. And if you've got, if your business phone number is a Google phone, have it linked somebody else's phone. So that if you can't catch that phone call, it's ringing another phone and they can catch it. Just put those backups in so that it's one less thing for you to necessarily worry about. It's one less thing for you to have to 100% handle, you know, it. Yeah. They do have the automated messages now for frequently asked questions. I noticed that on my new gizmodo kind of gizmo upgrade that I got from Instagram and Facebook when I complained, but haven't had a chance to get in there and stuff, but you can put in automated frequently asked questions and stuff. I don't know if I think that has something to do with, because I made a store on my Instagram, but I haven't finished connecting the store yet, but I think I have that availability, but yeah, it and can I set, get I set one of those up for wheels. I set one of those up for, because we always yeah. get asked about how much is it for this size for a 20 inch wheel in gloss black. And, 
boom, I've got yeah. it. You know, it just goes right off to the customer and explains the whole thing and what we can and can't do and everything. And yeah. um, you don't have to type that anymore. At Maui Powder Works, because we're, we got the podcast and the directory and stuff like that. It's like we get we don't just get the typical customer questions. We get somebody halfway around the world asking us, can you help us with our Wagner? <laughs> Thank you to Ashton Palmer for helping that guy out because he just he went from an Eastwood to a Wagner guy. <laughs> I'm like, wow. wow. <laughs> That's a big jump. Whoa. And he, I think he was overwhelmed. And yeah. I think by the time I had gotten back to his message, um, he had reached out to Ashton and Ashton had helped him and stuff. And, but I followed up with him on a couple of things. And it's funny because it's, and, and then we have our Pinterest account. So I'll get people asking me, where do I find these rims? Where do, what color is this or whatever? And I've, shared a lot of stuff through Instagram on Pinterest. And so people don't always know how to click through to, to get to that, back to that original link, which may or may not show you if it's got the matte bronze or what it's always the matte bronze. They never, because they matte bronze is unique, but get, I usually get those typical calls of just people searching, using us as a source resource. But we, I guess in a sense, we've created ourselves that way as a resource, powder coating resource. So I have to be able to, I can't just ignore those because that's my own doing, <laughs> but it's awesome. It's been so nice to talk to you today. Yeah, it's been great. I think, are you at home? Is this I your am. home office? Yeah, it looks home like office. a nice home, cozy home office, quiet. Sometimes it gets a little crazy around here and it gets, it's hard to focus on the podcast when you're at work too. But yeah, so what's the future hold for Powderworks? Do you, are you just keeping on or? You have bigger plans? Do you want to try to reopen that second store? What's I think the natural progression is for us is to align. I, I do think, honestly, in, here in a couple of years, we'll have a, a line system in play. We only have, we've got three more years on our current lease, and we, we definitely are wanting to build. That's always a, a cost-saving endeavor. Anytime you're paying someone else for, for rent, you're paying way more than you should be paying. We're looking at building a, a large facility and getting getting that moved. But that's, I've already had my oven priced on how much it's going to cost to move. It'll either be uh, downtime or a company coming in and doing it. And so there's yeah. just, there's all, all those costs um, associated with it, but growth in general, we're growing. We're, we're looking at all the ways that we can either add processes. We added dry film this year or... A dry film lubrication. It's a wet spray, but it also has to be baked on. It's for high heat applications where they need like an oil filled where you've got uh, metal on metal mm -hmm. and it, you want it to be able to move freely. So it's designed to survive eight to 900 degrees. It's just a, it's an easy process that fell in our lap and we, it's turning into something. Yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like you're doing all the right things. How big is your oven and how big is your facility now? Just um, forgot to ask that earlier, but I thought well, I'm curious. Yeah, now. we're a 10,000 10, square foot facility. We've got a 10 by 10 by 30 oven. We have a 25 by 25 by 20 blast room. We take on some pretty big projects. We like to do the big stuff and the big, the quantity projects. Do you just and do sandblasting too for people or sandblast we only? We do. That's that's a, something that I'm working harder at trying to sell as just that. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And is your, you have gas ovens or? Like yeah, it's gas. We were natural gas at this location. We were propane at the other location with a similar size oven. And I will say propane's more. Propane is, yeah. is about $200, $300 more per month. That's one of my, uh, the gas is one of the most fluctuating costs in, in, yeah. in our business. And I don't know what the, what causes it to go up and down. I can't even keep up with it. But I, to me, I think it's the refiners. Probably. I read something a long time ago about that, and just that's pretty much how they're trying to make their money back when the price of gas goes down. They have so many re- reserves here, you know. Sure. And we're in just, a gas ri- a natural gas rich area, and. Yeah. It's it, it it fluctuates wildly. I'll have one month that you know the the it'll be fifteen hundred dollars. The next month it'll be four thousand dollars. And wow. usage usage hasn't changed market markedly. I, I just don't know what the metric is, other than maybe the guy that reads the meter doesn't have isn't wearing his pres- prescription glasses. <laughs> really, I know. Now they we have a smart meter. We're electric, but. We have a smart meter outside now. They just installed. We, I think they had just installed it when we had our really big month in November, which, you know, was our highest grossing month and also our obviously our highest electric bill. And right. it, it, I was like, oh great, we hit the ringer, the dinger. Right? It's <laughs> never going to come down now. It's always going to be this price. But it's fortunately we've staggered down. We're not as that was the peak and it has gone down a little bit um, slowly. I know they didn't like that, but we'll see how it goes with the smart meter thing. I don't know how it works, but I think that's what where they're going with it. So they don't have to send those people out anymore. They can just. Right. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem right now is they're we're trying to upgrade the electrical here with a permit and I keep waiting. They're they're monitoring the bit business or they're monitoring the building to see how the other people in the building are fluctuating with their energy and stuff like that before they go. Cause they may end up having to put some kind of a extra piece of equipment out here to boost it, I guess, I think is what they're doing. So that's taking our permit to, or getting the work to be done so much longer. And all of these buildings were built. They were mostly built for dry storage in the, 60s 70s 80s mm-hmm. and there aren't a lot of newer buildings here so because it was mostly for dry storage they didn't think about putting in the beefier electrical back then so all of these buildings need massive electrical upgrades everywhere mm-hmm. and on top of that we in the state of Hawaii they have this goal like 20 I think it's 2040 or 2045 or something like that where it's all supposed to be EV, all electric, fully sustainable, no no uh, fossil fuels. And that's a hell of a goal to make in what, 15 years or so, less than 15 years. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. I don't even know what the timing of it is, but it's, it's tight. And now the legislature is, wait, we got to do what? When? You know, and so now everything they do is going to be based around this goal because we've Put it out in public that or we've signed climate chain agreements or something with the powers that be that so 
I, I don't see how we can if they don't do the infrastructure. Forget about cars for a moment, but just like just the whole infrastructure part has to happen here first. We dealt with that this, this past weekend. The three-phase disconnect on the back of our building gotten so old. It's same thing. The complex that I'm in is from the 80s. And the three-phase disconnect was the tension spring on the inside was had weakened over time to a point where it would back off of the the legs and then start arcing mm-hmm. and then we it would blow the fuse and we'd lose our three phase and that's it's a $50 fuse as $50 is $50 right but if you don't have that fuse it's a lot of down to run wherever you have to go to to get the a, a 100 amp fuse. It's uh it's downtime. Your ovens yeah. are shut down. Your booth is shut down and everything. And so you're right. Making sure that your infrastructure, specifically going to your shop or whatever, is is ready to withstand and handle the workload that you're throwing at it is probably just as important as making sure that the paint is pretty on the inside of the office and everything else like that. Yeah. Um, so many priorities. There's just so many priorities. So many business. priorities. It's just can be overwhelming. I feel like, I don't know, like it's working one day and then the next day it's not working. It's okay. a fun business. I think we all have the stories. I think we all have the breakdown stories. So yeah, I don't want to talk about my situation at all right now because it just no. makes me so angry. <laughs> but uh, I took the weekend to chill, not think about it. Yeah, I think I think you've given us a lot to, by sharing your story, you've given us a lot to think about in terms of where like the crossroads can happen in a business that you're going into this next phase uh, of growth and you've seen where you've come from and and where you where you're going and uh you're right in this new phase. I always I talk to Rosso about you have this learning phase where you're just learning how to do powder coating and the dynamics of that and then you go through this whole like equipment failure phase. <laughs> you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. It's it's weird. There's this there is this thing about it and it seems like you obviously you're well behind that. You, and if something does fail equipment wise, you know what the problem is. You're not sitting there scratching your head going, what happened? And now you're hitting this, this sort of, I don't know, processes phase or where you're just reforming maybe yourself or I don't know what to call that phase really. I think we're almost there. We're almost there, but you've been there right. longer and stuff. So it's awesome to see it, yeah, but it's, it's painful. Every phase is painful. I started this out saying, using the word naive. And, <laughs> and I, I felt, I feel like I got into this naively, um, thinking that it would be easy and, or that I knew enough or I knew everything. I, I certainly didn't know anything about this business. And I have naively meandered through all of those phases, um, <laughs> so. but learned so much for it and tried better to learn, for it. Try to learn every step of the way. So. Maybe it's a leadership thing. You think it has something to do with leadership or processes, operations? I don't know. Somewhere in we're talking about. Yeah, there's some balance, and it and it's gonna 
it's going to be different, unique for every shop, depending on where they want to go, how big they want to be, how small they want to be. And there's some people that just are content with doing it in the afternoon out of their garage and yeah. as, a, as a side hustle. And that's where shout out to Steve Schelling. <laughs> we know who we're talking about. <laughs> that's that's well, where they'll he's be. He's one of them. He's one of them. Going forward. And then there's coders and then there's that are trying to make a name for themselves. And we talked about them. And and then there's coders that are just trying to keep their employees employed. And I, yeah. So it's going to this the story is going to be unique for everybody. It is. It is. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. If you have anything you want to say, just make sure you put it in the comments. Again, subscribe our YouTube channel or listen to us anywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. Have a great day. Aloha.